So good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Amrawati Monastery, another of the Sunday afternoon talks. Uh, I would like to introduce the Venerable Dharma Master Heng Shur. He is a senior disciple of Master Sun Hua, who founded the famous Buddhist monastery in California called the City of 10,000 Buddhas. The Venerable Heng Shua ordained as a Buddhist monk in 1976 and so is 41 years living as a monk. Unfortunately, Heng Shua will be leaving us straight after this talk. So listen closely and enjoy it while you can. There's, there's going to be a quiz after. Thank you, Venerable. I'll give you a line and you give it back. Namo tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Homage to the Blessed Noble and perfectly enlightened one. Here's one for you. Namo Sadanto. Suche doye, Ulahudi, Samyal Sampu Toshie. Let's see. We'll just do the English on this one. Supreme and wondrous Dharma, subtle and profound, rarely is encountered. Even in, even in a million eons. But now we see and hear it, and accept it reverently. May we truly understand the Buddha's actual meaning. Good indeed. Venerable members of the Sangha, bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, bhikshus, bhikshunis, Dharma friends, good afternoon. I'm going to take this to hand myself, take it off the stand. This is good. Oh, yeah, please. There we go. Well, my name is Hung Shur, uh, means constantly real. And the name is an injunction, actually. Um, I was in theater. I was an actor. And the value, as was Ajahn Amaro, I might add. And the value of the actor is that he can or she can convince you while they're on the stage that they're someone whom they're not. Right? And that's a good actor makes you think they're the part, they're the role they're playing. And all is well until that actor gets off the stage. And then if he or she is continuing 
to play a role, we call that phony, right? Phony. And I was one of those people who got mileage out of keeping the character going off the stage. As they say, and with my Irish forebears, no, no story lacked for salt and vinegar, you know? And so what, what do you sacrifice in a situation like that? It's the truth. And it's not real. So I took refuge with Master Shrenhua, my, my teacher, who has sat in this seat, by the way, I might add. And uh, I took refuge in 1973 and became a disciple of the Buddha in our tradition. And uh, I looked at my refuge certificate and it said uh, G-U-O-R-E-N. And I said, oh, Guo-Ren, that's wonderful. He said, no, that's Guo-Zhen. And I said, oh, Guo-Zhen, what a nice name, Shervo. What does it mean? He says, true. And I said, oh, because I'm true. No, because you lie too much, he said. <laughs> Bonk. The Chinese call that a dang tou bang he. It's a smash over the top of your head to wake you up. And although, you know, uh, the Chinese say that, that good medicine is bitter to the taste, but it cures the illness, one of the things that I like the most about that teacher and why I chose to follow him with my life was that ability to see through my pretenses and to not take any nonsense from me. So that's the Dharma name that you get, Guajan, the result of being true. And then when you ordain as a monk, you get the, the, uh, the monk's sobriquet, and that was Hang Shi, constantly real, so true and real. So there's the injunction, is to be true and real because you lie too much. So in my, my formation as a monk, I did a period of silence. I was silent for six years as a monk and spoke to no one except Master Hua, and that was about once a month, perhaps. And uh, <coughs> so people say, well, what did you get out of that? And uh, the answer is, sounds humbling, maybe, or humble, perhaps, not very lofty, but now I get an alarm when I'm tempted to stretch the truth. So I get a chance to catch myself before I fall into my old habit. Can you imagine, after six years of silence, that was the fruit, was getting a ding, 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 when it comes time to stretch the truth. So, um, First came to Chithurst, Forest Monastery, Chittavevika, in, in uh, 1983, as a matter of fact. And I was counting heads, all of, all of the... Uh, the, el the uh, Senior bhikkhus, who, uh, who I met then, one of them is Azan Shuchito, whom I am three days older than. And I never let him forget that. So he has to pay me respect. <laughs> but we're fellow Scorpios, and that, that you know. Uh, at the time, Azan Shuchito had just finished illustrating um, the... the uh, what was the, the hand the hand drawing? Was it the the fire sermon? Dhammachakra Parivata, yeah, Parvatana, yeah. And nobody knew he was a cartoonist until he set his pen to paper, and out came these 
incredible R. Crumb kind of designs, you know. Superb. So um, then came with Master Hua to Abayagiri, and uh, we joined, I forget, it might have been Katina Day, or it was some, some big day on the calendar year. And uh, you were there, sister, and uh, I remember. And uh, we, we joined, and it was the old sala here at Amaravati, and everybody, the, the place was jammed to the rafters with bodies chanting in Pali, and we could feel our bone marrow vibrate, you know. And Master Hua looked at me and he said, we're going to back to California, we're going to do that. And we did, and we still do. So that was one of those moments when he uh, apparently saw the effect of Pali chanting on us and said, that's an effective expedient. So, um, long storied history with Ajahn Chah's disciples here in England and uh, heard all the stories and visited the nun's cottage at Hammerwood and yeah, and uh, um, have made, I was here when the, the new Buddha Hall was, was dedicated and uh, I remember um, when the I discovered today that that having the ball, the ninth Sima stone, roll down and land in the the pit with uh, in in America we do pounds, you know, not pounds sterling, but pounds avoirdupois, all right. And the man came in with something like five pounds of uncut diamonds and rubies and emeralds and sapphires and such. And uh, I, my father, had passed away when I was 20, and I'd always carried his wristwatch. It was a Jaeger Le Coultre, and it was, to me, it was, you know, a, a symbol of my dad, and, and uh, I was watching these diamonds disappear into the, the hole, which is the ninth Sema stone. You all know what I'm talking about in the, in the Buddha Hall? There's this little lotus right in the, the very center of the building, and it's the, the, uh, there are eight stones that mark the boundaries of the Sima, where uh, Dharma events can take place. And when the temple was dedicated, here was the king of Thailand's sister, the princess, and uh, her job was to set the last stone in. And, and Ajahn uh, Kusilo, whose name when I first met him was Anagarika Blue in, in New, New Zealand, at uh, Wat Bodhinyanarama. And Ajahn Kuslo had rigged up this method for the last stone to roll down a, a slope and plop in on top. And that's the, the formal moment when the Sema is complete. And uh, so spontaneously I had the impulse to take my father's watch, wristwatch off, and put it down in the hole with the diamonds and the, the golden ninth stone, thinking that... Uh, the insight was that uh, um, I would like my father to meet the Dharma sooner. So if he comes looking for his wristwatch, you know where he'll find it, yeah. right? <laughs> right in the center of the Amravati Buddha Hall. So, so that's uh, lots of memories. And uh, 
Then, as I mentioned, this is, you know, uh, one of those moments that, that lives on is uh, my, my teacher was uh, in West Covina, Los Angeles, and was leaving his body and called me and said, uh, where is Sumedho? Um, he had identified Ajahn Sumedho back in 1979 when Ajahn Sumedho walked into a Chan meditation retreat at the city of 10,000 Buddhas. And uh, I remember he looked fierce. I mean, he looked tough, you know, and no nonsense, and big, tall Western monk. And uh, we were shivering in the cold at, at the, in the winter Chan retreat. Master Hua said, you should take this monk as your role model, he said to me, pointing to Ajahn Sumedho. Anyway, so Master Hua is, is about to, to leave, and, and uh, he says, call Sumedho. So I did, and uh, got on the airplane and flew down to West Covina, and Ajahn Sumedho was, you know, wondering what's going on. And uh, Master Hua said, uh, he said, Sumedho Fasher, he said, I understand that you are looking for a suitable place for your first monastery in California, in America. Is that right? Why, yes, said Ajahn Sumedho. And uh, Shriva said, well, we have uh, 120 acres of this hillside in, in uh, Mendocino County, and it's only 20 minutes from City of 10,000 Buddhas. We want you to have it. Will you accept it? Yes, I will, said Ajahn Sumedho. So that was the beginning of Abhayagiri Forest Monastery. Now it's doubled in size because another gift came from Thailand. And, but that was, uh, you know, to have the, uh, the two major training monasteries in North America be 20 minutes apart, uh, both living according to the Dhammavinya, you know, is, is not an accident, let's say. So Master Hua told me at one point that he and Ajahn Sumedho had been Tongchan Daoyo in Chinese, uh, fellow Chan practitioners on the path, on the Tao, friends in the Tao from past lives. So you think, oh, hmm, that's interesting. You know, prove it, you know. <laughs> uh, no, not that. It's that, did you all know that Ajahn Sumedho was his choice of college was on his way to Shanghai to study at Furan University when uh, the um, the bamboo curtain fell and travel was cut off to China. But he was on his way to China to go to college and had to change his plans. But interesting, following those affinities. So who knew? Yeah. So I was assigned a topic and given a restriction. I hope you're all aware. Maybe some of you voted in that, but I was told, no guitar this time, right? And we said, no problem, we'll bring the banjo. No banjo either. I could play a banjo in this chair. I couldn't play a guitar in this chair. I think they gave me the chair so I wouldn't sneak the banjo or the guitar in here. So. But uh, the topic was patience. Patience, patience, got to have patience. Don't get angry, so forth. And uh, patience, there was, what was the subtitle after the colon? Patience, necessity for the way or something? Do anybody recall? Anybody make the poster up? 
there was a colon after the title. Why do Buddhists regard patience as a supreme practice? Because it's so humble. How could it be supreme? Right? Well, um, Sermon on the Mount said, you know, the word for patience in Chinese is it's a third tone. You go, and it's, if I could draw it for you, I would do it. So it's, let's see if I can do it backwards. Let's see, it says, bao, the bao tzu. There we go, with a dot. And a, there we go. And it's a knife over a heart. And it's actually one of those Chinese characters. It is a pictogram. About 15% are. It's incorrect that all those Chinese characters symbolize real objects. 15% do, however. And it's a knife on top of a heart. And those of you who, for a good purpose, have practiced patience know that feeling. Right? It's like... Because if you explode, the knife is going to puncture that organ that doesn't need to be punctured. Right? It's hard to be patient. And that sharp knife is right there. Sword of Damocles, we have that in our, in our seed memory bank, right? And patience feels like just hard to bear, right? And can you be patient that second time? Can you be patient the third time? Can you wait the fourth time until the fire goes out, then it counts. If you can only be patient twice and then that third time you explode, mm-mm, doesn't count. Right? So what do you have to be patient with or about when you're cultivating? That's our verb, when we're cultivating the way, when we're practicing the path, when we're embarking on a spiritual endeavor. Pain is one. Pain in the knees, right? Pain in the stomach because you've decided you're going to cut back on food and you eat 60% full and you know that you're, you're going to be hungry by the evening. Or pain because you thought, yesterday I didn't get enough, I better eat a little more today, and you overeat and now your stomach is full and you can't meditate. Pain, right? It seems to be a, a, a cousin of dukkha. It's just dukkha. When dukkha arrives, what are the responses? There's skillful and unskillful. Unskillful is reacting to the pain and then reacting to the reaction, etc. Skillful is practicing some method of patience. Now, um, there's just the patience that is out waiting, just waiting it, waiting it out, waiting for the, the pain to subside. And sometimes that's it. Sometimes patience is just that. Right? You just wait. You just wait three, four times. 
But there are other levels of patience, and I'll get to those later. There's a kind of patience that is sublime, and it requires strength, but the results are not simply you make it through the gate. The results are that you're reaching the path of what is called in Sanskrit, avivartika, no further retreat, irreversibility, that state. So that's another kind of patience gate. So we'll get to that in a minute. When the Chinese, this, I, was, I was trained, I was originally a Zen guy. I found myself in 1969 in Kyoto, Japan, at a, Zen temple uh, in the, the line of Eheiji, Dogen Zenji, um, called Antaiji, Antaisu in Chinese. It's in Kitaku Gentaku Omiya in Kyoto, in the north part of Kyoto. And it was the temple in the neighborhood, surrounded by bamboos and mountains visible on every side. And it is now high rises. It has completely been subsumed by high-rises. Anyway, in uh, Kitaku, the northern corner of Kyoto at Antaiji in 1969, um, I first encountered knee pain in meditation. I had, uh, this is my junior year abroad, and I'd been studying Chinese in Taiwan. Uh, was, I was a junior in college. And <coughs> had done occasional, you know, self-indulgent half hours of meditation, and stopped in San Francisco on the way over to meet someone who knew the scene in Kyoto and could direct me to a place where I could find real Buddhism, because I had been studying. academic Buddhism. And my question was finding out whether there was any real Buddhism left in Japan. And so a professor at my university said, go see Gary Snyder. He knows what's happening in Kyoto. So I did. I went to Baker Street in San Francisco on my way to, to Kyoto, on my way to Taiwan. And here was Gary Snyder and said, uh, yeah, he said, they're mostly the temples in Japan, when they see a, a waigoren, a gaijin, when they see a foreigner coming, they don't want to have anything to do with them. They're just too much trouble, they've learned. There are a couple places that will take you. He said, go to Daitokuji with the, the famous rock gardens and see if Ermgard Schlegel is there. And Ermgard Schlegel will direct you to, to where you need to go. And if she's, uh, she would see, she says, and... If you, if you can, uh, you want to find a guy named uh, Bill, uh, Bob Wright, and Wright will take you to the right place. So, Ermgar Schlegel said, Daitokuji will not take Westerners. You've got to live here for three years, you've got to be an apprentice for a while, and then they might look at you. He said, however, go see uh, Bill Wright. So, Bill Wright uh, introduced me to Antaiji, and sure enough, the next day, the uh, Zen master, whose name was Uchiyama Roshi, Master Uchiyama, said, ah, he said, da, dozo, irashai, mase, ano, nihongo ga dekimasu ka? 
And I said, sorry, I don't. And he said, welcome. <laughs> Shake hands. The next day, they started a session. And the way they do seshin, which is a retreat, a Zen retreat, was eight hours of zazen every day and silence. And I was a, you know, a backyard meditator. I was a kitchen meditator. I was not a meditator by any measure. And they just tossed me right in the deep end of the water. And uh, they, this is a place where they walk with a stick. And the, uh, the monk who most often got the stick thought that Westerners, Americans, were useless. And so any time at Antaiji, you wiggled, sneezed, scratched, blinked, it was tap, tap. And when he taps you, you do this, and he's, thwack! You know, oh, my God. And uh, it's not, there are some, some of those sticks for hitting are for effect. They're kind of bamboo slats, and they make a big noise. And they're, they're meant to invigorate. They're not punishment, as, you know. But uh, this was not. This was solid oak. <laughs> and it was, it was meant, <laughs> you know. So my knees were on fire, and my shoulders were bruised at this point because I had just started to meditate. You know, I, I could probably do 20 minutes before I had to wiggle. And so my answer to patience had nothing to do with noble patience, the paramita, the perfection of patience. My patience was down the road on Omiyadori was a little mom-and-pop grocery that sold what? It sold Tylenol and raisin bread. So I got myself some Tylenol, and I confess, maybe I, is anybody recording this? Turn the recorder. So I got through my first week of sashin eating Tylenol two and three times a day and stuffing my stomach with raisin bread. It was really good raisin bread, and it just, you know, kind of comfort food. Dry. I would run down the hill, and in between, a 20-minute walk, and I'd run down and take my yen and buy some raisin bread and gobble it down on the way back so I could just sit there, you know. So I had a raisin bread Tylenol sashin, and that's unskillful. Not recommended, all right? This is not, I'm not transmitting this dharma to anybody, all right? Be clear about that part. So that was my first encounter with zazen-induced pain requiring patience, right? So fast forward ahead to City of 10,000 Buddhas, and uh, we have uh, Master Hua giving us the jewels of the Chan tradition's version of uh, how you get through patience. And uh, he would say, Which was everything passes on its own, in its, everything passes in its own time, but anger is difficult to get rid of. If you can truly be free of anger, you have got a treasure beyond price. Further, if you can stop blaming others, then all things 
conclude happily. If afflictions never arise, where will evil karma land? And then those who constantly find fault with others simply have not put an end to their own suffering. Okay, so how'd you like my translation? Wasn't that great? Uh, so let me see, what did I say? So this is the kind, this is the approach of the, the uh, Chinese Mahayana to, um, to, to patience is look for psychological causes and understand that patience is the medicine for curing affliction as well as getting through the gate of whatever difficulty is, is burdening you, be it knee pain, be it abuse, be it others blaming you for things that you didn't do, for example. Once upon a time, Han Shan, this, this is not the poet, this is not, this is not the, the Ming Dynasty monk, this is Han Shan, the mad poet, Cold Mountain, right? People have read Cold Mountain poems. In the past, Han Shan asked Shida, which is pickup. He said, people scold me. People cheat me. People insult me. People laugh at me. People belittle me. People plague me. People find fault with me and cheat me. What should I do? Shida says, in response to Han Shan, he says, just be patient, just endure them, just let them do it, just allow them, avoid them, just let it go, just respect them, pay no attention to them, come back in a few years and then take another look at them, he says. And then Han Shan goes on to say, uh, well, tell me the secret, give me the method for being able to do what you tell me to do, to endure them. Shirdo says, I saw Maitreya Bodhisattva. So let me tell you about a verse about Maitreya Bodhisattva. Do you all know Maitreya Bodhisattva? He's the fat Buddha, right? The happy Buddha. He's, it's, it's astonishing how many seafaring nations like this one of your own, right? Like Great Britain. There are many, many mantelpieces in Great Britain adorned with a fat Buddha. Why? Because sailors get off the ship in Hong Kong and buy a souvenir, and it's often this fat, happy Buddha. That's Maitreya Bodhisattva. Okay, you all know who we're talking about here? Him? Right? This is Maitreya. All right. So we have a conversation here between Shi De and Han Shan. So Han Shan says, 
uh, give me the secret so I can endure the way you're telling me to do. And so pick up Shuddha says, I've heard about Maitreya Bodhisattva. You know about him? There's a verse about him. And it goes like this. It goes, Du da nang rong rong tian xia nan rong zhi shi kai kou bian xiao xiao yi che ke xiao zhi ren. That will be on the quiz afterwards. So it's his belly is big because he can hold all those things that the world finds difficult to hold. He splits his face in a smile, laughing at all the laughable people in the world. So it's not because he goes back for seconds and thirds every day at lunch. Not only that. I mean, it's hard to resist. Today's offerings were just so yummy, right? It's because the, his size represents his capacity. He can take it. He can endure. Right? That's Maitreya Bodhisattva's secret. So there's a verse about him called The Old Fool. And uh, this is actually one of the songs that I will do without accompaniment. Here we go. The old fool wears tattered clothes, fills his belly with tasteless food, patches his robes to keep out the cold. As things come, so they go, his belly is big, cause he can hold. Praise so hot and blame so cold, splits his face in a smile so full, at the situations he finds laughable. The jewel of patience, it's a pearl so rare. So that's the, uh, it's, it's been a, a, a great verse in our tradition, and I thought it needed a melody, so I, nobody knows you when you're down and out is the melody, if anybody's keeping track, right? So, so here's the old fool, and by the standards of the world, he's a loser. This is someone who is totally foolish, right? The old fool wears tattered clothes, fills his belly with tasteless food, right? Doesn't go for gourmet fare. He's not unhappy when the food is plain, right? Patches his robe to keep out the cold. As things come, so they go. So he's not in with fashion either, just enough, enough clothes, right? So the food comes when it's offered, and. He wears whatever he stitches together, right? It's not stylish. As things come, so they go, right? Um, he, uh, let's see, when you, uh, if someone scolds the old fool, he simply agrees. If someone hits the old fool, he smiles and falls down on his knees. Spit in his face, he lets it dry. You, he, saves his, he saves his temper and you save your energy. The jewel of patience, it's a pearl so rare. So who could do this? Who can do what the old fool does? The answer is someone who practices patience. What does he do? Suppose somebody scolds him. He agrees. Yeah, you think I'm a dummy? You flip me off in traffic? Right? As you cut ahead of me, you wait for road rage. Nope, not for me. Go ahead. You go first. I come after. 
right? Somebody hits him, what does he do? He falls down first, right? I'm fine, you know. Not going to spark, spark any fire in me. The ashes are out, right? Somebody, uh, if somebody, uh, so he, you, you threaten to hit him and he falls down. And whatever you think of him, he agrees. Okay, he agrees with your principle. So um, if you spit in his face, what does he do? Who can stand that? Who could, you know? What, what is, what's our standard of uh, provocation is yo mama jokes, right? Is that an American thing? Yeah, must be. Yo mama, right? Yo mama's so fat. No, I won't do those. So, so that's guaranteed you'll get some fist back, you know? So someone gives you a yo mama and, you know, and what do you do? You just, no, nah, it's fine. You don't know my mother. It's your problem, <laughs> you know, and that's your affliction. So you can endure, right? Somebody spits in your face, you let it dry. Can you imagine? So the jewel of patience, it's a pearl so rare. So this verse ends, it goes like this. Now that you've heard of Maitreya's patience gung fu, Maitreya wants to share it with you. When you hear this news and go seeking the Tao somewhere else, I've got to ask you, who's the old fool anyhow? Right? That's how the song goes. So this is the story of the old fool. And in our tradition, if you want to hear about patience, you're likely to get a teaching similar to this. Right? You get it in a verse form. And the key to it, indeed, is the idea of looking beyond the emotion of anger. Patience is the antidote to anger. Okay, so as a meditator, as a practitioner, as a monastic, patience will arise, right? People look from the outside into the Sangha order. They look at the monks and nuns and think, oh, it must be just sublime to receive bows and to, to when you cross your legs and meditate, you're instantly in samadhi, you know, it must be just wonderful. In fact, sometimes it, or often it is wonderful. But more often than that, the experience of being in the Sangha order is intensely social. It's called living alone together is the practice of the Sangha. And it takes a lot of patience to get through the day. Someone else snores, right? Or someone is deciding that they're going to eat only a complete sugar diet, so they get all the the desserts right away, you know, because it's their cultivation. And so you don't get any pie that day. Have to be patient. Or the person, you know, you left a, a beautiful monastery in France because you couldn't get along with the supervisor and you come to England and discover that the supervisor has a brother and he's in charge of you, you know. Oh, the suffering of being next to what you can't stand, right? And... All these situations require patience, require you simply getting through. So how do you do it? I have a story about the very first English language mantra 
transmitted in North America. This is a bit of Buddhist history in North America. And it's called the Patience Mantra. And the story was told about an individual. I'll show you his picture. He's the co-founder of the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, together with me. And his name is Doug Powers. Here's, here's Doug Powers. Oh, lost it. There's Doug Powers. Okay, he's a six foot two Berkeleyite. Is a high school teacher for 36 years at Berkeley, Berkeley High School. And he also, as did I, took refuge in 1973 with Master Shren Hua. So this layman has somehow, he and I can never seem to avoid each other. We're just always kind of shoulder to jowl. And as a high school teacher, Doug Power's specialty was teaching 17-year-olds, seniors, seniors in high school. He had that gift. And if there are any classroom teachers here, you know, that takes a special kind of, of uh, chemistry to... Because 17-year-olds are not yet adults. Physically, they're all grown, but emotionally, they're, they're still in their teens. And so the big question is, who's stronger? How strong am I? If you're a 17-year-old guy, you're always testing your limits, right? <laughs> Pushing. And if you can't push it over... You're safe. You're secure. That's how strong you are. If you can push it over, you don't know, you know, where's the limit? So Doug Powers got pushed a lot in Berkeley High School by the football players and these big, tough, young guys, you know, just looking to knock somebody over. So, uh, and if you're a high school teacher and you get angry, you've lost it, you know. So one day... I was uh, already a novice monk, and uh, Doug Powers came into Gold Mountain Monastery and said, Sureful, Sureful, to Master Hua, he said, Sureful. He said, I really need some help. He said, I have a one particular guy in my AP history class, and he's just, he refuses to be subdued, and uh, I'm afraid I'm going to get angry, Sureful, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. What should I do? And Sureful said, no problem, no problem. He says, I'll transmit a special mantra to you. And so Doug's thinking, oh boy, you know, I'll just go, ah, you know, the kid'll oh, you know, subdued. And Shervo says, okay, uh, Doug speaks no Chinese, right? Shervo says, I'll transmit the first English language mantra in America. You ready? Yeah, Shervo. Patience, patience, gotta have patience. Don't get angry. So po he said. Okay, recite it back. Doug says, sure, well, that's just once. You gotta say it again. I didn't get it. And what's that last thing? You know? Okay, patience, patience, gotta have patience. Don't get angry. So po That's the Chinese phonetic reading of svaha. Right, bodhisvaha, all things auspicious. May all things be, be uh, well concluded. Right. So he says, "Okay, you say it." So Doug goes, "Well, I know it was patience a couple times." So let's see, patience, patience, gotta have patience. What's the next part, Shirfu? Don't get angry, says Shirfu. Oh yeah, don't get angry. And then the sopoho uh, part. Very good, Doug. He says, "You go 
recite the patient's mantra, not for the kid who's trying to push you over, but for yourself. He says, as soon as you see that fire, as soon as you feel <laughs> the volcano wants to erupt, right? you say, patience, patience, got to have patience, don't get angry. So, say it three times, and he says, guaranteed, you will not get angry. Do you believe me, Dawson? Yeah. Not. <laughs> try it, he says. Hmm. You little faith, he says. Go try it. So Doug goes, you know, better write that down. Write it down. So he goes over, and, and so sure enough, you know, it's Monday morning, and uh, here's this kid, and he's, I think he was the fullback of the football team at the year, about 6'6". Six, six, and, and so uh, Doug says, okay, a bunch of textbooks open to page 27. And the kid comes up and goes, <laughs> 27, <laughs> You know, and Doug's like, <clears throat> and he goes, oh, patience, patience, gotta have patience, don't get angry, so poor, you know, patience, patience, gotta have patience, oh, okay, all right, uh, well, all right, if you don't want to open your book, I'll go sit over there, you're in charge, you teach goes to the back of the class and sits down, and here's this kid. You know, he's a 17-year-old, just testing, you know. He's like, mm, I'm, I'm going to teach nothing. I'm going to sit, you know. <laughs> Everybody's looking, oh, okay. Uh, Mr. Powers, we're waiting for you. Oh, you want me to teach? Okay. Doug comes back, you know. Let's see, today we're talking about the... Uh, uh, King George and the, uh, the, 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 t the Boston Tea Party, all right? And so that was that. And so Doug comes running back to Gold Mountain Monastery. Shervo, Shervo, it worked. He said, it was a great mantra. He said, it really worked. Shervo said, hmm, you just don't have enough faith, right? He said, what happened? And Doug says, well, I, I didn't feel the fire anymore. Shervo says, there. See, this is how I teach and transform my American disciples, he said. So in Chinese, ren nai, ren nai, xu yao, ren nai, qie mo sheng qi. You recognize the patient's mantra. Your mandarins improve since we started this lecture, right? So, yeah, that's it. The patient's mantra. So, are you ready? Let's hear it. Patience. Patience. Gotta have patience. Don't get angry. You could say svaha, and that's the same. You know, there you go. Now, I've transmitted the patient's mantra right here in Hemel Hempstead, you know. So, okay, so that's very interesting. And uh, if you were there at lunch, I, uh, before we, when we did the uh, dedication, I said I was going to share a story from the highway. And uh, during the time that I was silent, I spent two and a half years as a pilgrim. And I started in, with a companion. I started in South Pasadena, which is one of those, one of the 30 cities that make up Los Angeles. And uh, from South Pasadena, bowed through Watts, the northern boundary of Watts, and through a place called Lincoln Heights, and then to Chinatown, and we hit Wilshire Boulevard, 
number one, Wilshire Boulevard, and bowed down Wilshire Boulevard, the Miracle Mile, past uh, UCLA, through Beverly Hills, and all the way to Santa Monica. And at Santa Monica hit Highway 1, the Pacific Coast Highway, the, the PCH, and turned north and stayed on the Pacific Coast Highway for two, two and a half years to Ukiah, California, Mendocino County, across the Golden Gate Bridge. And uh, every three steps did a full bow, prostration to the ground, and uh, learned a lot about patience in the process. And traveled a mile a day, pretty much, and uh, had a, a monk companion who did talk and answered all the questions. And when we went to the the uh, police, there were there are three jurisdictions. There's the local police departments. There's the county sheriffs from each county, and then there's the California Highway Patrol, CHP. And the Highway Patrol were our best Dharma protectors along the road, bowing north. And uh, the opportunities to practice patience were numerous, including such things as one of the very first tests, which was in this little, little town called Lincoln Heights. And people said to us, uh, this is on the border of Watts, and it's, it's predominantly black neighborhood. Now it's almost all Hispanic, interestingly, as the demographics change. And people said, you know, no matter what, you know, going the speed you're going, do not be in front of Lincoln Heights High School when school lets out. Just be nowhere near Lincoln Heights High School, because those kids, they'll eat you up, you know. And so we're going, okay, okay. The other monk is planning the route, and I just bow in front. And so we're coming around the corner in early in the morning when we're going to pass in front of Lincoln Heights High School. And sure enough, there are big yellow tape and road dividers. says, under construction, detour. Right? So, oh my goodness, the streets are being torn up and renovated. The... the uh, Plumbing, the uh, sewers were being rebuilt. So sure enough, we had to go around the corner, and 3.30 in the afternoon, directly in front of Lincoln Heights High School, ring, all the kids come out. Going, man, what are you doing, man? Hey, you should be kissing the ground like that, man. What are you doing? And we're surrounded by these kids who are fascinated to know why these bald-headed, robe-wearing people are bowing to the ground. You know, what are they bowing at? I don't see nothing up ahead. What? And and so they're like talking about it and what's going on. You know, so I'm thinking, you know, it's not cool to run. You can't do that. It's not three steps, one jog. You know, or <laughs> three jogs, one bow, or something like. You can't. You know. So it's like, oh no. So I'm thinking, oh, patience. Patience, patience, gotta have patience. Don't go, you know, patience, patience. Just bow and just, you know, assume it's just ordinary to have two Buddhist monks bowing to the sidewalk in front of the high school. Just bow, you know, bowing along. And so these chunks of brick, there's from the construction, come lobbing across the street, you know, plunk, 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 plunk. And uh, this large girl, uh, 
senior girl. Must have been the one of the local, maybe it was the head of the cheerleaders, I don't know. She comes over and she stands in front of us like this and she says, y'all quit that. They doing nothing. You quit that. You keep throwing them things, you answer to me. You know, and we're going, bowing along. And and then, and I don't hear anything, you know. I'm bowing along. And we get to the corner, and it's not cool for me to look around because I'm bowing, right? But you get to the corner, and you got to wait for the light, so I could adjust my robe, you know. And there's 15 high school kids in line behind us bowing. Hey, come on, try this. Cool, let me try this. Hey, come on. You know, and, and so they're like, you know, it's now five o'clock. And so we'll see you tomorrow, Monk. You're going to be doing this. We'll be out here tomorrow early. So long now. Y'all take care. So we're going, oh, you know. Patience gets you through. And uh, so time to stop for the day. And we come to the, the next corner and we put some uh, pebbles down to mark where we stopped. And we do the last bow, and we're transferring the merit. And uh, there are these uh, five guys standing there. This is the border of Chinatown, where Lincoln Heights meets Chinatown. And we bow, and we transfer the merit. And looking up, and here's uh, five guys in identical sunglasses, dark glasses. Chinese, and one's got a scar, and one's got a, a knife, and another has got a bulge under his arm, you know, and they're like, like that, and he goes, um, how long you been doing this? <laughs> About uh, three weeks, you know. And uh, how long you plan to do this? <laughs> We're going to a city of 10,000 Buddhas in Northern California. It's, it's about 800 miles. Like that. <laughs> yeah? You're a uh, Chinese Buddhist? Mm. Master Hua says uh, he's not teaching us Chinese Buddhism. He's teaching us original Buddhism. You're Chinese Buddhists. And they go. Anybody remember Walt Disney, Donald Duck, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and Uncle Scrooge? And they would meet, and they go, so they huddle. You know, they huddle. And they come back out, and he says, "All right. Uh, as long as you guys are here in Chinatown, uh, you got nothing to worry about. We're protecting you." <laughs> so, okay. I mean, so patience is a jewel. It's a pearl so rare. So we get to a place called San Luis Obispo. And it's central California. And it's a, it's a hot summer afternoon. And there's a little Volkswagen coming up the top of the hill, putt, 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 putt. And he gets to the top of the hill where we're bowing, and he sees us, and he pulls off the road, scree, 
And what the guy in the Volkswagen didn't see was directly behind him was a Hell's Angel, a biker, by himself. And the Hell's Angel, he's got long beard and dark glasses, and he's got his Harley Davidson, his hog, and coming too close and too fast. And when the Volkswagen pulls off, the Harley Davidson has to hit the brakes. The guy brings the bike to a halt and parks it, slams it down comes stomping back. He's got spurs on his motorcycle boots, you know. And as the song goes, axle grease embedded underneath his fingernails, right? And he's a tough biker with the, he's got his colors on. Hell's Angels, California. He stomps, 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 stomps. And he comes over to the Volkswagen and the, the driver of the Volkswagen can only see his belt buckle because this guy's so tall by the window. He takes his fist on the roof of the Volkswagen and it goes, on the Volkswagen roof, <laughs> like that. And the guy says, you. And he says, I ought to throw you into the Pacific Ocean. You almost made me crash, he says. And the guy's in the car. And the guy, the biker, turns to us across the road and he says, and you guys, you're hazards to navigation. I ought to turn you into hamburger, he says. And we're like, mm, patience, patience, gotta have patience. And he says, lucky for you, I'm feeling good today. <laughs> he says, stomps back to his bike, <laughs> spits, <laughs> no, drives away. So we're like, you know. So the guy gets out of the Volkswagen and he comes across and he says, boy, you know, he says, I've just, all my life, I let guys like that push me around. I think I should have stood up for myself. What do you think? And uh, uh, Hung Chao, the, the other monk, says, um, probably good that you didn't, you know. He probably could have thrown you in the Pacific Ocean. That, that was a tough fellow, you know. And this is Tom Halls, is his name. Tom Halls is about five foot six, and... He says, hi, I'm a reporter for the San Luis Obispo Sentinel, and I come to interview. You're the monks, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, we're the monks. He says, let me, uh, let me, let me uh, find out about you, and then I've got to ask you something. And so he asks us the questions, this and that, this and that. And then he says, okay, can I ask you a personal question? And Marty says, sure, sure, no problem. He says, I, I'm one of those people who has a problem with my temper. I've just always had trouble holding my temper. I just get angry all the time. And he says, it's almost cost me my job more than once. And I just, as I noticed, you know, recently, I think, I think my wife is kind of scared of me. And that, that's not right. He says, what do I do? And so Hung Chao, on an impulse, says, well, you know, my teacher has this method. And maybe I could teach it to you. Got your notebook? Yeah, I've been taking notes. He says, okay, here you go. Patience, patience, gotta have patience. Don't get angry. Tom Halls goes, let's see, how do you spell that? He says, he's a good reporter. Right? He says, well, what do I do with that? He says, well, here's what you do. He says, anytime you're in a situation and you start to feel that, you know, fire kindles up and you just... You just want to blast somebody? He says, think of it this way. That is your Buddha nature. That's your potential for awakening. Can you be patient? Can you hold it? If you can, you transform it. You make it through the gate. 
And you might even save your job and your marriage, he said. Now Tom Hall says, okay, that sounds good. I'll try it. Now, i got to practice. He goes, patience, patience, got to have patience. Have a little patience. Don't get anger. He says, can you ad-lib a little bit? Is, is it a formula? He said, don't get angry. I like it. He's catchy, he says. That's catchy. So he says, okay, thanks, monks. I appreciate that. I'll go try it. You know, so he drives off in the Volkswagen. All right, so seven days later, we're seven miles up Highway 1. Pot, 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 pot. Hi, monks. Oh, hey, I'm so glad I found you. It's Tom Halls again. He says, I just wanted to say to you, thank you so much. Thank your teacher for me. Who knew, he said. You know what happened? He says, that story about you guys, I got back and it was late. He said, other stuff came up, and I passed the deadline. And my boss came in and scolded me right in front of everybody in the newsroom. And, and all my colleagues know if that ever happens, it's like an atomic bomb going off. I never could take that. And I was just about to you know, lose it. And something inside said, patience, patience, don't have a little patience. Don't get angry. I even remember the part. And... I didn't get angry. It was like magic. And I said to my boss, you know, I'm late. I'm sorry. You're right. I'll, I'll, I'll make it up. And he said, all my colleagues invited us out for beer and pizza. He said they were so amazed that I could hold my temper. And it was great. And I got home from dinner, and my wife had burned the roast. And I could smell it when I got in the door. And, and I knew that dinner was you know, ruin, and my kids, as soon as they knew it was me, my kids split. They ran for their bedrooms because they knew what was coming. He said, that's not right. So I came in the door, and my wife was like cringing, and I said, uh, hey, I just thought we might all go out for dinner tonight. You want to eat some Chinese food? And you know what she said? She said, this is my husband, she said. And he said, it's because I recited the patience mantra. Patience, patience, got to have patience, don't get angry, so forth. And I think it's a new day for my wife and my kids. He said, who would, who would guess that it all had to do with me holding my temper? But you need a method. It's not just strength. You actually need a method. So the patience mantra really works. All right, everybody? Patience. Patience. Gotta have patience. Don't get angry. Sopoha. Can you do it? Yes. All right. There will be a sheet going around. You check the box next to your name. Yes, I can. All right. And it's time. Time is up. But um, oh no no I take it back. Oh, that says twenty of two. That clock's wrong. This, this clock is intending to lengthen the lecture. I know how you do it. Yeah, so good. So it is, it's time. But so let me tell one more story, and then we'll take a... I've been told there's a tea break ahead. Is that this being Great Britain? So, um, I promised to talk about uh, the higher uses of patience. But please go ahead, and we'll be done in just a second. One more story. This story comes from the Flower Garland Sutra, the Avatamsaka Sutra. And it talks about the practices of a bodhisattva, an awakened being. And the bodhisattva is practicing the kshanti paramita, 
the perfection of patience. And paramita is different from barami, right? In the Pali, the barami is wholesome qualities. Paramita is methods that take you across, ways to get across from this shore of samsara, across the flow of affliction, klesha, kilesa, to the other shore of nirvana, nibbana, right? Ways to get across. There are six of them. And the third is patience. And it always comes as a partner with vigor, with virya, with strength. So the bodhisattva has been practicing the perfection of patience. And mostly it's just strength that carries him across. There's a turning point in the path of the bodhisattva, the awakened being, according to, to our version of the story. And there are 52 positions, 10 of them, and they're from 40 to 50, are called the 10 grounds, the dasha bhumi, the 10 stages. And between the 7th and the 8th stage, the bodhisattva, in his or her meditation, gets to a place where the actual, they say the fire of samadhi. So the transformative function of the meditation that he or she does on the virtue of the precepts that they have been observing, the, the discipline that they have been training with, right? The, the fire of that samadhi keeps the bodhisattva's consciousness transforming. So consciousness turns to wisdom, bit by bit by bit, step by step, stage by stage, bumi by bumi, right? step by step. So when the bodhisattva gets to this seventh and eighth, between the seventh and eighth stage, he gets to a place called avivartika, no further retreat. And there is a, there's a phenomena that happens to this cultivator. And he is now, or she is now, in to emptiness that has to be emptied out, right? What happens at this point, it's an organic, the sutra's describing an actual physical transformation, is a, you know, uh, a, there's a neurobiological thing that's happening here. And he or she gets to a place where dharmas no longer arise, if you can imagine. The reality of this cultivator has now undergone a fundamental challenge. Up is no longer up, down is no longer down, duality is no longer dual, nor is it one anymore. And he sees that previously, every bit of cultivation that he has done to this point has shown him the nature of all conditioned things. He's realized pratitya samutpada, Right, how dharmas link each other and all things arise because of conditions and all things cease when the conditions go away. But at this point, that is no longer the case. The changes have happened in the, the awareness of the bodhisattva. And so they say, at this point, many, many practitioners simply get frightened because nothing makes sense anymore. And at this point, what's required to make it through the gate, across the crossroad, to the next step, which this is not Buddhahood, right? there's more cultivation ahead, is patience. 
And actually, as, as the story goes in the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Buddhas of the Ten Directions come to the cultivator and say, don't stop. Take one more step. Remember your fundamental vows. Living beings are still suffering. Affliction is still affliction. Dukkha is still dukkha. Beings are lost in samsara. You have to continue your practice. Please be patient and cultivate another day. Have another cup of tea. It's not over. And they come and encourage the cultivator in this way because they're in their meditation, which is now, these are full-time varsity meditators, right? And this is required, encouragement to continue. Primary is patience. So how interesting that this very plain, humble, just wait, patience, patience, wait it out, right? Endure. This simple Dharma method has a sublime application at the exalted stage of an eighth bhumi, eighth stage bodhisattva. So just to say, this is not as simple as one might think. Okay, uh, we'll take a break and uh, come back in a bit. Is there a bell that we ring, or who's, who's the timekeeper to get everybody back? Okay, 15, 20 minutes? All right, please enjoy. <laughs> 